Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording from our 2021 Passover Prep Learning Series. This is going to be mostly music, but also kind of a, a look into some of the, the concepts behind the four things that I've chosen uh, to share with you. And it's really great to have you all here. Um, I hope you're okay. It's being recorded. So if you, if you want to protest the recording, uh, let me know soon. Um, yeah, the Pesach Seder is a really interesting Jewish phenomenon because on the one hand, it's the Jewish ritual, perhaps maybe to the exclusion of a bris that is shared in some way by the highest percentage of Jews worldwide, right? Like the, when, when demographic studies are done and people indicate the Jewish ritual that they involve themselves on some level, no annual ritual gets more attention, gets more clicks than the Pesach Seder. More Jews do something the first night of Pesach than do anything on Yom Kippur, right? So whereas Yom Kippur, if you're a, kind of a proud secular Jew, and you don't feel like you need to appease God with your fasting or your praying, then Yom Kippur doesn't really register for you. But even if you're a proud secular Jew, there's something about the Passover story and the Pesach Seder that is so deep in your family or cultural DNA, it's hard to avoid it. So it's a very, very shared Jewish um, ritual and moment. And therefore, it's also one of the Jewish things about which the highest percentage of Jews have an opinion about, right? And know something about, right? So, you know, you ask a Jew on the street, tell me about Shemini Atzeret, and they won't necessarily have any answer for you. You ask a Jew on the street, tell me about Pesach, and you'll get memories, and you'll get lessons, and you'll get tunes, right? And everyone assumes that their family's tunes came from Sinai, that Moses was up there, and God said, you know, here are the Ten Commandments, and this is the tune to which you must sing Dayenu to, right? Um, because the the... the you, know, you can mess with a lot of things in one's life, but don't don't mess with my with my Pesach Seder tunes. And joking aside, it it's not a not a small number of families I've spoken to and couples that I've spoken to, for whom one of their most challenging early Jewish based arguments had to do with whose family Seder they went to and whose tune was being used when they hosted their first one. Are we using this side's, uh, you know? Tune for the twelve steps of the, the, the steps of the seder, or that side, right? This, 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 this side's chadgadia in in Hebrew, or this one's in uh, in Yiddish. So people have very strong opinions about it, and they've inherited from their, you know, from their parents and their grandparents. Uh, for me, that follows the same pattern. So when I close my eyes and I think about seder more quickly than I think about my table, I think about my grandparents' table, and I think about what they look like and and what it smelled like, and what it felt like, and what it sounded like, which leads to a little bit of a paradox in that it's be, even though, and maybe especially because this holiday is, um, and this ritual is shared by such a high percentage of Jews, hold on, let someone else in, um, there are only a few of the quote-unquote iconic tunes that people seem to share, and there's a lot of diversity in other tunes, which means that our experience of the Seder is very, very different one from the other because our families approached it differently. And even amongst those iconic tunes, it's very much determined by uh, where your ancestors came from, Ashkenazi or Sephardi, and where you ended up on the American or Canadian map. Um, I, in most things in my Jewish life, consider myself to be a very proud chameleon. I have influences from all over the map. Right? Uh, some of you know this story, so it's a little bit redundant. Um, I grew up as a conservative Jew in Connecticut, but but it's more complicated than that. My father's father was a reform rabbi who was ordained actually at the JIR, the Jewish Institute of Religion, before it merged with HUC. So it was an independent rabbinical school in the 1930s and early 40s. Um, he married my grandmother, a rebel. Her father was an ultra-Orthodox um, rabbi who was ordained in Panovich in Lithuania and had a community in Boston. She rebelled and became a bit of a feminist and a Zionist. My mother grew up um, kind of ethnic Jew, Jewish in Brooklyn. The synagogue they barely went to was a conservative synagogue. And when my parents started a family, the religion, the Jewish, the Jewish denomination they were most interested in was Zionism more than anything else. We lived in Israel for a year when I was two to when I was three. We came back to the, to the States and we joined a small conservative synagogue in Connecticut because it was the, the, the Hamish gathering of Jews that most reminded them of their neighborhood in French Hill in Jerusalem where they lived for the year. Um, so I grew up going to Zionist camps and um, conservative camps and youth groups. 
And then I spent a semester in a you know, Orthodox yeshiva in Israel, and I was ordained by the conservative movement. And I have influences from the renewal movement uh, all the way to the Satmar movement, because for my first nine years, I was a rabbi in upstate New York, right next to the Satmar village of Kiras Joel. And I would dive in with them. So my Jewish influences in terms of practice and knowledge are across the spectrum and also musically. I, there's very little Jewish music I don't like. I, I have a very wide repertoire and I'm a sponge. I try to learn from every Jewish encounter I can so that what I can experience for myself and what I can share with others is broad. Um, interesting footnote or maybe parentheses, I pay a price for it. I have something which um, certain um, neurologists and neuro neuropsychologists call a musical earworm, which is where um, it's kind of a, a, a large version of something that everyone experiences, which has uh, a tune being caught in their mind. Um, you know, sometimes you hear a piece of music being playing, played in your mind and you're not sure why it's there. Um, I actually suffer from that. Um, and particularly when I, when I learn a new tune and I have to um, master well enough that I can teach it, it sometimes sticks in my mind for weeks and it's not pleasant. Um, but I, but I do it because I want to continue to grow my musical repertoire. And so what we're going to be hearing today are pieces of Jewish music connected to the Seder that are from four entirely different parts of my Jewish learning, my Jewish growth and my Jewish journey. Um, and it would not surprise me if the Klingfeld Seder is the only Seder at which these four tunes are sung every single year. And I'm kind of proud of that. I love, I love um, the, the different Jewish inspirations in content and in music that inform my Seder experience. And I hope some of these um, will trickle down to you as well. And what we'll go through are these, and I'm going to share with you a link to a website that you'll have access to that has all those tunes. And then I'll also share my screen so you can be looking just at one screen during the, during the thing. So hold on one second. Let me um, share the, the website. Second. Okay, so I'm putting into the chat of the Zoom a Google Doc, and on it we'll have the four things we're going to look at, and then I'm going to share that Google Doc with you, so you don't have to look at it now. I'm going to meaning I'm going to share my screen, <clears throat> but you have you should copy and paste that link so you have it um, in case you want to come back to it. And now let me actually share it so that we can all be looking at the same thing together. Okay, so the link that I share with you should send you to this. Um, okay, so I'm gonna, um, it's not really reverse chronological order, but the, but is it, it's, it's, you know, by, by, well, no, it's not, it's not reverse chronological order in which I learned these tunes, but it's somewhat in reverse chronological order in that the first one I'm sharing you is the most recent one. It's the most recent addition to our uh, musical experience of the Seder. And this one is not just a musical uh, contribution. It's a content contribution. And some of you are familiar with it, particularly if you've came, come to any of the um, shul seders I've, I've uh, led in the last few years. So I learned from our dear Avi Peretz, who past president of the synagogue of Moroccan descent, that there is a fabulous and um, long-lasting Moroccan custom at the Seder. And it comes in, in the words that are that lead into the halachma'anya. So um, if you see, I'm going to click on browser. Okay. This is the Hartman Institute, one of their two Haggadot that they produce. It's really wonderful stuff, fully traditional Haggadah with um, lots of commentary from traditional sources and modern. In some versions of the Haggadah, these three words don't appear or they, they appear as a footnote, whereas everyone's Haggadah has this next part in Hebrew, Halach Ma'anya. And there are different tunes to that. Ours, our Halach Ma'anya tune in our family, which is not one of the ones I'm teaching you tonight, almost sounds like, um, I don't know, it reminds me of Volga Boatman. Halach ma, halach ma'anya. Diachalu. It's very like heavy and almost Teutonic. Diachalu avatana. Bonnie's singing along, so you know this tune. Be'ara, be'ara demitzrayim. So um, many people's experience of the Magid section of the Seder begins with that. And in some versions of the Haggadah, um, three words are inserted beforehand. Bivhilu yatsanu mimitzrayim. 
uh, it's actually a hard three word phrase to, to directly translate into English because of the first word. The second word, Yatsanu, we left, Mimitzrayim from Egypt, and Bivhilu. Bivhilu is built from the Hebrew root Bet He Lamed, which means to be in tumult. Here it means to be quick, but it could also mean to be confused. Um, and it's hard, and, and it's hard to know what exactly the form of the word bivhilu is, but it's often translated as an adverb. We left Egypt hastily, or we left Egypt um, all famished, to use a Yiddish word to translate an old, an old, um, an old, an old Hebrew word. And it re- referenced the fact that when Exodus came, it came quickly, right? That um, a story of the, uh, the matzah being our food because um, it didn't have time to rise, that it all happened, even though they had some forewarning, it all happened really in one moment. And it was not a calm uh, leaving of oppression. It was a tumultuous experience, even on the way to redemption. Okay. So what then is the uh, Moroccan custom? Moroccan custom is, and no Moroccan that I spoke to, and I've done some research on this, really has a clear sense of why this custom attaches to these words. But I'll tell you a story about uh, something that someone in my, uh, at, a, at a family seder we did a few years ago said. What they do is that they lift up the seder plate, literally. They bring it over to someone around the table. The leader does this. They hold the seder plate over their head. And usually without any preparation and without knowing what they're going to say, they turn to the person over whom the Seder plate is being held and they say something to that person. What do they say? Whatever comes, words of love or tribute or a story or a memory or an association. And when they're done speaking, after a few seconds, the leader joined in by everyone who knows the tune sings this. And by the way, the music, if you look on the, on the sheet under where it says tune, Bifilu M4A, that's the music for it. So you can listen to it later. And it goes like this. Bivhilu yatsanu mi mitzrayim. Halach ma'an ya chorim. Something like that. It, uh, the tune varies from Moroccan family to Moroccan family. It's very simple, very sweet, and everyone joins in. And that first word, because it's a little bit hard to pronounce, it's become like the name of the ritual. So if you ask a Moroccan, you ask an Avi, Avi Peretz, what, what is this moment in the Seder called? He says, it's called the Bevilu or the Bevilu. Like they learned it like a, a catchphrase. Oh, who's doing the Bevilu tonight? And it goes like this again. Bevilu ya tzanu mi mitzrayim ya chorim These are eight Hebrew words but that don't go together in a sentence all, at all. So the first three words, Bifilu Yatsanami Mitzrayim, in haste we left Egypt. Halachmanya, ah, this is the bread of affliction. And then I put in the ellipsis, because the song suggests ellipsis, B'nei Chorim, free people. Where is that in the Haggadah? It's these three words, which again is only in part, uh, some Haggadot. Then the Halachmanya, the first line of this prayer. And then the ellipsis takes us back to the last two words. So it's like a, it's a compact truncating of an extended section that says that we left quickly. We're eating this bread for this reason. We invite everyone to come eat who are hungry. Next year we're here. Uh, next, uh, here we are, right now we are here. Next year we'll be in the land of Israel. This year we are slaves. We're not slaves, but we say it. And next year we are free people, B'nai Chorim. And the tune smushes it all together. And then it goes to at the top, and then down to the bottom, it's not much of a song. It's more like a ditty. It is a very powerful Seder moment. If you introduce it to your Seder, you and everyone else who has never experienced it before will feel awkward in the beginning. What am I doing? I'm holding a Seder plate over someone's head and I'm, I'm saying something to them, but I don't know what I'm saying until I open my mouth. And we're singing these words that are strung together, even though they're not connected in the Haggadah. And I would say, yes, I felt weird and awkward about it in the beginning. And now it's the part of the Seder that our family, and particularly our kids, want to last. And what happens is we do it. And then someone else says, my turn. And they take the Seder plate and they bring it over to someone else and they hold it over their head and they say something nice to that person. And then we sing. And it ends up being kind of a luxurious moment of saying 
a sweet nothing or a sweet something to or about someone that you might not otherwise have said, but it clearly was inside of you because you're saying it. Yes, Barbara. I have to say that it was a major highlight of our trip to Morocco. Everybody in the room enjoyed it. Everybody participated and it was, it was really fun. I recommend it. I'm going to but try Barbara's to remember that. To his, yeah. What Barbara's referring to is the last night of our Morocco trip. We had kind of a, I don't know, like a, a banquet. banquet. And even though it wasn't Pesach, we decided to do this. And I think it lasted like an hour, hour and a half. And, and yeah, it was a long were hearing, yeah, hearing things from people they weren't expecting and it warmed their heart. Um, and at our Seder, we go around and around and around and, Sometimes it occupies the, 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 the biggest part of the, of the Magid section. Now, the, one of the first times I did it at my Seder, I asked one of the people who was present, like, I, and sometimes I ask a question, you know, pedagogically, and I, I have an answer in mind. And sometimes I just want to know what people around the table think. And this time it was in the latter category. I said, why this custom here? Like, at any point in your life, Jewish, not Jewish, you can go up to someone whom you care about and say something that's on your mind. Like, why? What's the connection between the cedar plate and leaving in haste and that we're about to be free and this ritual? And I heard one answer from an Ashkenazi Jew who had never done the ritual before, and I have no idea if it's, quote, unquote, the right answer, but it really spoke to me. He said that when you're in haste and when you're in emergency, all you're thinking about is surviving. You don't have the opportunity for extended moments of expression you just want to make sure that in the next hour, in the next day, you're still going to be here. And when you get to where you're going, you'll have time to reminisce and to share. And perhaps this ritual is to remind us that as free people, and then I'll put an interesting asterisk on this, unlike slaves who don't own their own time, and unlike people who are fleeing oppression, who are just focused on crossing the border and becoming free, we have the opportunity to luxuriate and luxuriate and save the things that are really welling up inside of us. Of course, the paradox being that we're so free and we're so liberated and we have all this time in the world. And how often do days, weeks, months, and years go by without these things being said? And so sometimes Seder night is the night that I end up saying something to one of my children or my spouse or a relative that I didn't realize how much I needed to say it. And once I've said it, I feel a sense of freedom or liberation that was, um, it was elusive beforehand. So again, th- this, it's, it's more of a, of a custom that um, adds meaning to the Seder, that particularly a musical tradition, but because there's a musical piece attached to it, I thought it would be worthy bringing tonight. Um, and I want you to try it in, you know, at, your, at your own Sedarim and at your own pace. And I'll just sing the tune one more time. And again, the tune is on that um, document. Bivhilu yatsanu mi mitzrayim Halach ma'an ya b'nei chorim One more time Bivhilu yatsanu mi mitzrayim Halach ma'an ya b'nei chorim Good. Questions, comments before we go to the next one? Yes, Taibo. Um, thank you for letting me come, I'm a guest. Um, When I've taught uh, adults and even children about Pesach things, often the most successful thing is something, you know, all the different theories about multiple intelligences and kinesthetic or whatever. And this is something that occurs to me that crosses many of those things. It's motion it's speaking it's singing and it's probably smell too because if the foods are on the seder plate if it's not a if it's not an empty seder plate there might be smell so the things i think in this seder as i said are most successful when they cross more sensory modalities and this hits a lot of them i love that i love that and it also reaches into an emotional reservoir which is not always present when you're talking about the ideas, right? The ideas of freedom and liberation are different than people experiencing something real in their bodies. And so, um, you know, those, those more modern theories of multiple intelligences, intelligences and how we access them were probably not around in that vocabulary when this custom was created, but the custom speaks to it. Um, yeah. 
and uh, and why it goes on. And may I ask you, feel free to duck it personal, but you said something personal about the earworm. Are you someone yeah. who also has synesthesia? Um, where what you where you where you where you see things like um, the most common is well well you're musical many many composers see particular notes in succession in different octaves as particular colors and they use the colors for composings some mathematicians it i don't know just the way you were talking it made me wonder if you had synesthesia and that contributed to your being a musical sponge um, I, I don't know. I, I once talked about this with Rabbi Chorney. We got to this topic by accident because I was describing something to her that has been part of my life since I was a kid that I had no idea was a thing until she said it might be a thing, which is that and this is totally far afield, but I'm happy to answer the question, Taibo. When I visualize the calendar where we are in the year, my entire life, I have visualized it as a C, um, the letter C. And January is the top of the C. And then it goes around and the December is the bottom of the sea. And I can't picture the date, like where we are in March, without seeing where I am on that half circle of a sea. And I, I don't know how it got to my brain, but that's, 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 that's the only way that the calendar appears in my mind. And it always appears that way. So summer to me is the, is the, is the fat part of the sea on the down on the, on, as it's curving down. And she was wondering if that was some... Um, you know, a synesthesia adjacent way in which my mind works. Uh, so it could be, I don't know. And I'll stop in a second, I promise. Okay, but right, go ahead. do you do you have it only for Gregorian or do you have something for Hebrew? That's an interesting question. I got to think about that. I think that I instantly map the Hebrew calendar onto the Gregorian calendar. So I see Nisan in in March, April. And so it go, I, I think it's a quick jump. I don't, I don't, I don't see Nissan on the sea, but I see Nissan immediately switching to March, April in my mind. So I suppose it's a, it's kind of half there in the in Hebrew calendar. Um, okay, thank you for those questions, Taibo, and again, welcome. All right, speaking of tunes from Sinai, Manish Chana, right? I, 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 I should have done research before this class and, and, and found out and reminded myself, who wrote Manish Chana, someone did, and it wasn't Moses. Right in the shtetl, they did a more sing-songy. Right, so less of a song, more of a of, of a sing-songy way of sharing these questions, which of course many of you know are questions which, according to the Mishnah, are not things that must be said like a priori at the seder, but rather are. Uh, said by the parent if the child does not know how to ask the right question. So we we say a formulaic version of something which the Mishnah imagined the parent would say rather uh, organically in response to the children's not being able to form their own questions. But it's become a fixed part of our liturgy, perhaps one of the most fixed parts of our liturgy, um, even though it began very, very fluid. Um, I love that the Manashinah tune, and I love that you know, certainly in the Ashkenazi world, you know, uh, after the Shema, is there a more common first thing that a Jew learns in religious school? Right? That first, that moment when your four-year-old or five-year-old in kinder, kindergarten comes home and they can ask the first, the four questions, that's, that's an extraordinary moment of Jewish pride. And it's always that tune, right? But that's not the only tune. There is a wonderful uh, tune to Manishana by Safam. Um, some of you may know who Safam were. It's hard to, it's hard to kind of overstate how big Safam was in the 70s, 80s, for certain parts of the Jewish community, right? Um, back when it was kind of easier to, like it was it was harder to disseminate Jewish music because we didn't have the internet and things like that. But it was easier to kind of, uh, like, I don't have to say this, to, to, to wrap your mind around who's in what Jewish category. The lines were more clear. Like the, the conservative Ramah USY community was more coherent. And they all listened to the same music for the most part. And for a certain number of years in the 70s and 80s, it was all Safam and then a little bit of Craig Taubin after that. So if you were at all involved with the conservative synagogue or Ramah or USY in 1979 or 1982, 1985, and you'd been to a Jewish concert in the previous five years, it was Safam. Safam were mostly um, Boston-based um, um, Jewish songwriters and composers. One of them was a chazan at a shul up there. 
Uh, I believe they're all still alive. They might even still do some touring. I remember the Safam concerts of my youth and they were rock stars to me. They were rock stars. And they performed at USY events uh, and USY conventions and they were great. Um, they did, um, like today's Jewish songwriters, they did both new music to inherited liturgy, like, you know, uh, all the stuff that we brought into Temple Beth Am the last few years by Joey Weisenberg and Napa Tehila and Josh Warshawski and Micah Shapiro. Um, I'm taking nothing away from their creative experience, but half of the work is done because most of what they're doing is putting music to inherited words, right? They're trying to reawaken Kabbalah Shabbat or recompose a tune for the Aleinu. Um, and so Safan was doing that too, taking words that we knew and putting new music to it. They have a beautiful Yismachu. Um, and then we're also writing ballads, right? Um, uh, songs in English with verses and choruses that were telling parts of the Jewish uh, story. So they wrote a famous song, at least famous in my world, about um, uh, Russian refuseniks focused on Anatoly Sharansky leaving Mother Russia. They wrote a song that was somewhat controversial because of just the way they characterized certain things about uh, Jews from three different parts of the world, from, uh, from Odessa, from Addis Ababa, and from, from Yemen, uh, who all come together in, you know, in a, in a scene in, in Israel and Israel as the melting pot of the Jewish community. Uh, they wrote a song called Amnesty about the Jewish push towards giving freedom to everyone. And they wrote a beautiful Manishanat tune. And we love it in our, in our Seder. And again, you're going to, uh, you can see it um, if you, um, or you can listen to it later, but I will um, just sing it for you and you can hear it. It might be the first time you heard it. And here, here it goes. Uh, and they do it much better than I, because they do it in, in, in beautiful three or four part harmony and with truly cantorial voices. You can even hear that in like the musical background or underpinnings of the song is the Ashkenazi sing song that they tunified. They turned it into a song, but you hear the notes like the, the cells of the song is the is the is the yeshiva shtetl version. Shebechol halelot anu ochlin sha'ar yirakot. Shebechol halelot anu ochlin sha'ar yirakot. Halayla hazeh, halayla hazeh, maror, maror. 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 Shebechol halot in anu matbilin. Afilu pamechat, shebechol halelot in anu matbilin. Afilu pamechat, halayla hazeh, halayla hazeh, shetefe amim. Halayla hazeh, halayla hazeh, shetefe amim. Halayla hazeh, halayla hazeh, shetefe amim. Halayla hazeh, halayla hazeh. Shebechol <laughs> Halayla hazeh, halayla hazeh, kulahanu mesubim. Halayla hazeh, halayla hazeh, kulahanu mesubim. Halayla hazeh, halayla hazeh, kulahanu mesubim. When you listen to the recording, which you do later on, you'll hear that they do an English interlude in between the verses, something like, tell me why is this, what? I don't know what's wrong, because I don't sing it. I won't try to I won't try to do it. But listen to the recording and they interpolate English um 
not commentary, but basically translations of these verses in between the Hebrew. Um, and we love it so much that every year at our Seder, we both do the traditional one. Sometimes we do it in other languages, uh, and we always do the Safam version as well. Uh, so that's the second one I want to share with you. Uh, comments, questions, thoughts? Okay. Yes, Barbara. Yeah, I, I don't know if you, you're, I guess you're young enough that when your kids now learned with fear cautious that when they came home to you with it, it was the way you learned it. Is that right? Say that again, because, Barbara. When, well, okay. When I don't know if you can imagine the shock that I felt when Shimona came home from school and had learned the fear cautious totally different from what I knew. <laughs> it was really so weird, which is the way they do it now. Right. But when I learned it, it was a totally different way. It was an easier way, I think, to me. It was what a shorter was way. How, how did you learn it? I'm, I'm trying to remember now um, because I've gotten so used to hearing it. Um, and you took that uh, yeah, but, and that was it went. That's the that sing way. songy. That's the sing songy, like uh, that that at some point got converted into what I imagine Shimona uh, learned, and then I think got resurrected. Like I'm, I'm not a musicologist. I do not know music theory. I just have a good ear, and I hear them Safam and the two we just did resurrecting a little bit your version, but to a full a full layered song. Yeah, it became a, a, a much longer, bigger song. I remember when I was a kid on the eve of Seder or just before Seder in the afternoon of Seder, my father would take my my middle sister and I into a bedroom because Donna was four years younger than us. And we'd work on doing the Manish Dana. It was It was actually kind of a nice time the working on it each year before Seder. Yeah. Yeah. And I, every year I think about going into the room and working on Manish <laughs> Tama. That's sweet. Yeah, it, it really is. But you're right. Because these are mother's milk kind of tunes, it is shocking when someone introduces um, a new one to an iconic piece of liturgy. And, and I, and, and if someone tried to introduce a new Manish to me now, I'd say, hold on, what are you doing? You know, I, I, I've got my Manish but the only way I developed my own larger repertoire is that I was interested and willing to learn, interested in learning a new one from the very beginning. Okay, great. Uh, number three. So um, this is an interesting part of the Haggadah, Behisha Amda. And what's interesting about it is that it's a, it's, it's a dangling pronoun without a clear understanding as to what it's attached to. I'll show it to you in context in the Seder. It's towards the end of the Magid section. 62, so. And by the way, this, this Haggadah and the other one that the Harvard Institute produces um, is available for free download during COVID. So if you go to Haggadah's Aras, that's the website, you can download both of these for free. You can buy them as well but they've made it available throughout COVID and they're really, really beautiful um, um, Haggadot. So just before the, my father was a wandering Aramean, which is that section where we um, read from the book of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26, I believe. Um, and we have short little Midrash team in each of the verses. Just before that, we have this Behisha Amda. And what does it come after? It comes right after this, um, this reference to this promise that Israel has kept, has, that God has kept for Israel. And again, if you want to know where it is in the Seder, this is the section that comes kind of two before it. Okay. Um, so let's look at the words a little bit. And Taibal, I see your hand up. Um, I just wanted to have a quick comment because it's a friend acquaintance, Joe Bookwald Gellis, who's made it free. And he's the one 25 years ago. His website is Haggadahs R Us. Noam Saxion, when he came out with the first A Different Night, and he sent a plea to all his customers that if anyone's going to buy, he's happy to make it free second year in a row, but he's being forced out of business. The, his friend, the graphic, the one who did the graphic, Hagada, I'm blocking on the name, is getting so little money from Amazon. He just had a plea. If anyone's going to buy it, 
please buy from him or from the authors. Don't buy from Amazon. Thank you for sharing that table. I appreciate that. I, I wasn't aware of that. And it's such beautiful contribution to, to our, uh, our bookshelf. So yes. Are, are they available here in LA or do you have to get it elsewhere? You, you can order directly online at this website. How good is our us? How much is it? I don't know. You know? I bought, I bought mine years ago, but they're not, not crazy expensive. Um, Okay, so let's look at these words. Then I'm going to tell you a story and then the tune. Vihisha amda, that which has stood. What's the that? There's no that mentioned in the sentence itself. It might be a reference back to Baruch Shomer Haftachto. Blessed be the one who guards his promise. God's promise to us that would God would eventually redeem us. Maybe, but not necessarily. Uh, I think that connection is how is what has made this Haggadah and many Haggadot put in the word this what? This promise, this promise. But the word promise is not in the sentence. The only thing that's in the sentence is this. This blank has stood, labotainu to our ancestors and to us. And now we're not sure if, if is what's coming next, the promise, or is this a new idea, right? How do you punctuate? Is this a colon or is this a, sent, uh, a period in a full sentence? That not only one echad has amad stood up playing on the game, on the, on the name, on the word stood. So whatever the this is, the promise has stood for us. And again, playing on stand, because not only is that the only one who has stood up aleinu upon us, to destroy us. That's built from the word kol. Kaf lamed means all, but it also means to destroy completely. Rather that in every generation, omdim, same verb, stand, uh, they stand against us, this is the, um, the lacrimose perception of Jewish history, as Professor Salah Baron called it, that, that Jewish history is just um, bathed in a veil of tears, and they're always out to get us, right? and that joke that all Jewish holidays can be summed up in one sentence, they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat, right? and that is a certain understanding of our story. The HaKadosh Baruch and the Holy Blessed One, Matzilenu, saves us from their hands. It's a very interesting verb. It's a present tense verb. Not hitzilanu, saved us, but saves us. So every time we are saying this, we're saying it vis-a-vis the present tense as well, that we are the next step in this continuing past into present experience of being a Jewish people in a world where they want to destroy us. And even in this moment, I feel, I pray, I hope, I aspire, I say, I aver that the Holy One is saving me from their hands. Uh, I think most people who say this line don't um, interrogate themselves the extent to which they believe it. Do we believe that the Holy One is saving us from their hands right now? Maybe. Depends on what we mean by the Holy Blessed One offering us some salvation. But certainly our our people have, have, have read our history in retrospect as God having been present. God having been present even where God was not obviously present, right? God does not appear in the Haggadah, but God is read into the in, not Haggadah, the Megillah, but God is read into the poem story through Midrashic interpretation. And God was there, like the footsteps poem, saving us when we weren't even aware that God was saving us. Um, okay, so um, growing up, if we sang this at our Seder, uh, I don't remember the tune. I think we may have just said it. Did anyone grow up with a tune to this uh, part of the Haggadah? Bonnie, you did? How did it go? I'm not a singer. It's That's the way I did it. So that's, that's mildly familiar to me. So I imagine I must have heard it here and there growing up, but it was not one. And I, going back to something I said before as a sponge, it, it did not stick with me. And clearly we didn't do it every year. Then uh, in about 2000 and I don't know, three or four, I was on a little committee. It was like a, the rabbinic cabinet to help support then the still pretty young and fledgling conservative yeshiva in Jerusalem, which has grown into a pretty wonderful, robust institution. And as part of, uh, of being on the cabinet, we, we, we organized a trip where um, the rabbis in the cabinet, you know, first were raising a lot of funds for the yeshiva. And then we spent, we flew to Israel for a quick trip. It was a highly subsidized trip. Um, and we spent a couple of days learning at the yeshiva so we could remind ourselves what it is that we were raising money for. It was a beautiful experience. It happened to be um, 
uh, around Purim. We left Purim Day. It was 2002, I remember because, oh, that's what it was, 2002, because my oldest, who's now 19, was an infant. It was our first time on an airplane. Uh, it was in the middle of the second intifada. It was a worrisome time to fly to Israel. Uh, the first time I was flying to Israel with offspring, and uh, I, who'd been to Israel during you know, all sorts of moments of calamity and celebration, um, I, I felt a heaviness, believe it or not, flying to Israel with my child in tow. Uh, we ended up having a very lovely experience, even though there were still terrorist bombings taking place while we were there. In fact, story within a story, we went and met my dear friend, who was the director of the Nativ program when I was a Nativ, David Karen, at a coffee shop near the conservative yeshiva called the Moment Cafe on uh, Hove, uh, Ramban. Um, we had a wonderful coffee there. And two days later, there was a suicide bomber there and about eight or 10 people were killed. So it was, it was, it was a, somehow it was, it was a good trip, but a harrowing trip nonetheless. And when I went to the yeshiva, uh, I sat in a couple of classes. And one of the classes I sat in on was a class being offered by the inimitable Rabbi Pesach Schindler. Rabbi Pesach Schindler, uh, Pesach, the fact that his first name is Pesach is just coincidental, grew up in a Hasidic family, uh, eventually became an academic and identified himself with the conservative movement, and for many years ran the Fuchsburg Center for Conservative Judaism on Rehob Agron in Jerusalem. He was a phenomenal scholar and a lovely, lovely, lovely human being. And he wove together his really encyclopedic knowledge of the canon and his Hasidic upbringing with modern takes on Jewish text. And the year that I happened to go visit, he's, he's since deceased, he was teaching a class at the yeshiva on Hasidic interpretations of the Haggadah. And, and each day of the class, he would open up a certain text of the Haggadah. He would teach a particular sect, Hasidic sects or Hasidic Rebbe's interpretation of that section. And then to cap it off, to talk about multiple um, intelligences, uh, Zaybel, he would teach a nigun to that piece of the Haggadah from that Hasidic sect. So you had learned um, an insight into the Haggadah from the Belzer Hasidim or the Vizhnitzer Hasidim or the Satmar Hasidim. And, you know, we modern Jews, it's very easy to satirize and, um, and otherize our, our Hasidic brothers and sisters because they live very, very different Jewish lives than us. And they certainly do that to us. Um, but there's also something really interesting about the Hasidic approach to Jewish life. And he, he was teaching at the Conservative Yeshiva Hasidic interpretation of the Haggadah. The day that I was in his class, he was on this paragraph. And I feel terrible. I do not remember the name of the Hasidic sect or Rebbe that he was teaching from. But it was a marvelous class focusing on what that he is. What's the thing that stood for us? Is it just the belief that God is saving us? That is the thing? Is it an actual divine presence that is manifest throughout history um, and it explored the, the, the contours of these lines and then this tune which I consider to be one of my favorite um, my favorite uh, Jewish tunes and again you can find it um, at the uh, at the link on the document oh speaking of the uh, the document some people came in late so I'll, I'll repost um, in the chat the hold on, where are you one second, I'll get to chat when I'm screen sharing. I'm going to stop the screen share for just a second. Ah, here's the chat. Okay. Um, oh, sorry. Now I see that people are were chatting and I hadn't put it in there. So yes, the, the document that I am um, quoting from, I just put in the chat room. It has these texts and it also has links to each of the pieces of music. Okay, so it, Rabbi, yes. I didn't, I was on from the beginning and I didn't see it before and I'm, I'm not seeing it now either. It's in not showing chat. up in the chat. It's not showing up in the chat? No. No, and it didn't the first oh. time you said. Yeah, I was wondering about it earlier. Oh, yeah. There you go. Oh, it there just showed up. I sent it to everyone in the waiting room by accident, not to everyone. My mistake. <laughs> Okay, so there it is, and that has um, all of these, um, the words to each of these, and also has the, uh, the, the music um, on it. And I'm going to do it one more time because we now have Vera joining the call, and I want her to see it as well. So, uh, hi, Vera and Dove. Um, I just put into the chat the document that we're looking at. Okay, so here is how the tune goes. The she anda 
Sha'amda lavoteinu, lavoteinu, velanu. That repeats mostly except the second time through, it changes at the end. Sha'amda, sha'amda lavoteinu, lavoteinu. Vehelanu Shelo echad bilvad Amadaleinu Amadaleinu Vehaloteinu Elashe becholdor vador Omdim aleinu lechaloteinu. And then a pregnant pause. And I love how this part sounds and it's very Hasidic. Vehakadosh parchu matzileinu matzileinu miyadam vehakadosh parchu Matzileinu, matzileinu miyadam. This is the kind of tune that helps me understand and get into the words that we're saying. Faith is a very amorphous idea. Faith for moderns is challenging. We're sort of proud of our nuanced, open-minded theology. But sometimes it's interesting to check into the heart and soul of I'm going to use this term not in a self-loathing way, but in a descriptive way. A true believer, right? someone who, who grew up with no questions, for whom the phrase, like, would never use the word God, because they don't speak English primarily, but the Kaddish Baruch Hu. And when they talk about the Kaddish Baruch Hu, they mean it. It's, it's the Holy Blessed One who's right with them. And when they in, in, invoke that name, pronounce that way, where it's compressed into almost like two syllables, the Kaddish Baruch Hu, Kaddish Baruch Hu, um, it's possible to taste their faith and it's possible to taste their sense of what it means to be um, a children, a, ch- a child of God, and to feel that God is protecting. Does that mean that God is? This is less a theology class and more an ex- and a way to experience the Seder deeply. And for me, singing that tune to these words helps me enter the words at a level differently than when I simply study them. And I thank Rabbi Pesach Schindler for teaching that class and teaching me this tune. Now, subsequent to that, because Jewish music is constantly evolving, there's another tune that has emerged that's kind of, kind of became kind of popular in, in, in the from high school and the from college and the from, from world adjacent community. And now my kids learned it in USY. Um, and and I, I didn't include it on the, in the document, but it's not hard to find. And uh, it's also sweet. I'll sing it quickly just so you can hear it. Uh, I don't actually know it perfectly well, so I hope I get it right. It's something like this. Vehi sha'amda lavoteinu, vehi sha'amda lavoteinu velanu, shelo echad bilvadamadaleinu lechaloteinu, omdimaleinu lechaloteinu. Ve'akadosh baruch hu matzileinu, matzileinu miyadam. Ve'akadosh baruch hu matzileinu, matzileinu miyadam. Yadadadadadadadu. And when you hear the U.S. wires or kids at college sing it, it just kind of that the nine the part keeps going on and on and on, almost like a, like a dirge. Um, so these words have not changed in thousands of years, but uh, Jews keep writing new pieces of music to it. The one that um, the tune that's on the document is the first one I sang. But if you do a Google search for Vehi Amda in Hebrew or English and a music a piece of music comes up, it'll probably be the one that I just said. Okay. Um, on to the last one because I had four prepared for tonight. Uh, any questions or comments for the last one? Okay. 
So those of you who came in late, um, miss me say that my my Jewish influences are really kaleidoscopic, um, from the Hasidic to the uh, to, to the modern to the Zionist to the renewal, um, and at our Shabbat table and at our Pesach table and when I daven, all of those are manifest. Um, this is no um, this is not an exception to that. So Kilo Na'e, where are we? We're at the end of the Haggadah. Um, all the fun songs, right? So I could I could not wait for the end of the Seder um, when I was a child, not because I wanted it to be over, but because I loved each of these songs. And there were four of them that we sang every year. There was, after we poured the fourth cup, this is part of the, the Nirza section. Um, so we didn't do that one. We did this one. Some here, it's called Adir Bimlucha, which is the first two words. We called it Kilo Na'e, uh, for for there is pleasantness to God. And then there was Adir Hu, Adir Hu, Adir Hu, did that one. And then, of course, who knows one? We did it in, in Hebrew. We did it in English. Sometimes we did it in Yiddish um, and in Ladino, I learned later on. And then, of course, Chad Gadya. Right? So that was my and many children's favorite parts of the Seder. And when we got to Kilo Na'e, we did a tune from a group that was also in certain Jewish niche circles, rather famous in the 70s and 80s, called the Diaspora Yeshiva Band. The Diaspora Yeshiva is a yeshiva, not in the diaspora. It's a yeshiva in Israel. In uh, I think it's actually just outside the walls of the old city. Um, and they were known in the 70s and 80s to be a kooky, funky yeshiva, right? Um, kind of hipster adjacent and um, lots of um, things being experienced there that would enhance one's religious experiences, my guess. Um, and sometimes misfits ended up there. Sometimes seekers ended up there. And a lot of Torah was taught there and they were musical and they had a band called the Diaspora Yeshiva Band. And in our car, when we were driving to and from New York to see my grandparents or to go on long trips, we had Safam and we had Naomi Shemer and we had the tapes from the Hasidic Song Festivals and we had Diaspora Yeshiva Band. Um, and I don't remember most of the songs, but I remember this one, and it's been sung at the Kligfeld Family Seder since. And here's how it goes. And again, you can listen to it uh, at the link that I had there. So it starts with uh, quoting the chorus. Kilo na e, kilo ya e, adir b'mlucha, b'chor kalacha, gedudav yomrulo, lecha ulecha, lecha ki lecha. Lecha aflacha, lecha Adonai mamlacha, kilo na e, kilo ya e. Dagul bimlucha, hadur kalacha, vatikav yomrulo. Lecha ulecha, lecha ki lecha, lecha aflecha, lecha Adonai mamlacha, kilo na e, kilo ya e. I'll pause and put in something which some of you may already know, and it's, it's you can see it right there on the right side of the page, that we're not really sure how this got into the Haggadah. It's not Pesach-specific. Um, it's from uh, the world of the Ashkenaz, probably somewhere in Germany. It's an acrostic, and each line has three Hebrew words, um, and one praises God's, some aspect of God's royalty or kingship. So, Adir Bimlucha, in in, in royalty, God is revered. Bachur kahalacha, when it comes to um, he, God is as, as specific and as chosen as the halachic uh, system, so uh, focused on precision. Gedudav yomrulo, and, the, and they all speak about God's wonderful qualities. And each line is that triplet, something about God's kingship, something comparing God to the holistic system, and then all these wonderful things that God, are, God is saying about them. And I think uh, because you, uh, the Hebrew alphabet is not divided, doesn't have 24 letters, but 22, in order to make it eight stanzas of three, when you get to the tough, you have three tufts, takif and tomech and temima. Right? So God is st strong in kingship and is as supportive like the legal system and God's purity or God's um, um, fullness, they all speak about. And it's a very common thing to be sung at the end of the Seder, even though it has nothing specifically to do with the 
um, Seder night as well. And I'll just sing a little bit more of it, starting with the Zakai. Zakai bimlucha, chasin kalacha, tafsirav yomrulo. Lecha, ulecha, lecha, ki lecha, lecha, af lecha, lecha, naimam lacha, kilo nae, kilo yae. And I forgot to translate the second line, which is really kind of a, 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 a example of ecstatic poetry that um, was very common throughout the Middle Ages and also in the Hasidic uh, community, right? Speaking to God and addressing God with no distance and all yearning. Right? Rabbi Nachman of Braslow had a, had a short poem that when it gets translated into English, it's something like you, in the morning, you, in the evening, you, when I pray, you, when I, when I am f- afraid, you, 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 only you, all you, you, right? I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like that, right? This Hasidic Rebbe turning to the, to the Kaddish Baruch Hu and saying, everything in my life is you. I'm not sure that everything or even enough things in our religious lives are directed to the you of God. Um, but in this realm, that's the case. So lacha u lacha, to you and to you, lacha ki lacha, something like, to you because of you, lacha af lacha, you, yes, even you, lacha arunayim lacha, to you, the God of royalty and kingship, kilona af, for now we, we go from the second person to the third person, for God is deserving of, of beauty or our praise, kiloya and God can, will continue to be so, right? So it's just this ecstatic acrostic poem about this, this author's experience with God. I'll just do the last two verses. Kadosh bimlucha, rachum kalacha, shin anavium rulo. Lecha, 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 ki lecha, lecha, af lecha, lecha, naimam lacha, kilo na e, kilo ya e. Takif bimlucha, tomech kalacha, timimavium rulo. Lecha, 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 ki lecha, lecha, af lecha, lecha, donayamam lacha, ki lo nae, ki lo yae. And in my family, particularly in my family of birth, uh, it's a pretty musical family, and we'd always end that by slowing it out and ending on some, uh, you know, three or four part har- harmony that filled up um, filled up the room with great, great music. So there are so many others, and uh, I and I know that you bring to your own sedarim your own tunes and your own inheritances. But these were four different tunes that have added um, texture and joy to my seder um, over the years. They've been added over time. And from very different sources, right? Safam and the Diaspora Yeshiva Band and uh, a Hasidic Nigun um, uh, whose origin I have forgotten. And what was the other one I taught her? I forgot. Oh, and the, and the, and the Moroccan custom with the Seder plate over your head. And I hope um, that as you approach your Sedarim, which will once again be a very, very will be a night where we'll say again, why is this night different from all other nights? Why is this night so similar to last year's night? Uh, but not quite where we want to be, that uh, between now and then you can listen to these a few more times and maybe commit them to memory. Hopefully you will not suffer from the earworm that I suffer from and you can bring them to your theater experiences this year and beyond. And I wish you all a Chag Kasher V'Sameach. Yes, Taibel. Because um, you said earworm, you brought joy to me last week because I've been listening obsessively to Deborah Sachs Mint's album, so when you use one of her tunes as a nigun in that joint session, that was just, and I was able to answer in the chat. Someone wanted to know what that was, and I could put that in the chat. Anyway. Yeah, she's a phenomenal nigun writer, very complicated. And and by the way, Taibel, that nigun that I did, which she called the Makom uh, Bina, is the last tune that I learned. Like, I try to learn tunes all the time, but it's the most recent one that I learned. And I'm so glad I learned it, and I'll never forget it. But it haunted me. It haunted me for a full two weeks. I could not have it. I, I would like wake up in the middle of the night and as if there was an army of monkeys in my head playing that over the speakers and I couldn't, I could not hear it. And our minds I, are complex things. I don't sleep well. So part of why I do all sorts of music and I was haunted for months in a good way by Hermin Hametzar, but about two months ago it was replaced by Makom Bina. Yeah. I don't know why the middle of the night, but anyway. 
she's a special one. Um, so thanks everyone. Chag Sameach. See you all soon. And thanks for, for, for coming. And, and is there anyone who did not, who's on the call who didn't see the Google Doc? So you have access to it? Okay. I think no one came, no one came after the last time I put it in there. Rabbi, sh- yes. should I forward the Joe Buchwald Gellis to you message? Sure, absolutely. I mean, Please I'm do. sure you get a, a ton of things. And also the last thing I'll say, I put it in there. Um, a grandfather whom I never knew was a cantor, an immigrant cantor in Pittsfield, Mass. And he has a Haneros Halalu that we do in my family. I've sung it for two ethnomusicologists. They haven't heard it before. I would love closer to Hanukkah to pass it on to you so it lives. Please do. Taiba, where are you in the world? Are you in L.A.? No, um, I'm in Maryland. I'm the one. I have one child and he's getting a defil and he belongs to OJC. And I heard you at OJC. OJC at Oxford? Yeah. Well, Zoom on Zoom. I heard you at OJC and being a curious person, I looked at your shul and then I saw some learning. So I've been learning with Rebecca Schatz now from I don't even know how to say her last name. Rabbi Rebecca. Um, a long time. So I got the Pesach, her Pesach workshop things, and I've come to a few of them. Yeah. Well, welcome. One day you'll have to visit us in person. Oh, yeah. Yes. In theory. In theory. In theory. Anyway, I'll send you the email. Please do. With the Haneros Halalu offer. But. Thank you, Taiwan. Lila to everybody. Good night. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am, Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.